Hey, stick around. We have a great show today. A legend who is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Felix Cavalieri from the Rascals is here. He's going to talk about the making of some of their biggest hits like Groovin', It's a Beautiful Morning, People Got to Be Free. Plus, he's going to talk about playing with Ringo Starr, the term Blue-Eyed Soul, and much, much more. Don't go anywhere. Now, I just want to make sure I pronounce your name right, because I've heard it two ways. Is it Cavalieri, or is it just Cavalier? No, it's Cavalieri. Cavalieri. Okay, that's what I, I thought. I'm about this, you know, this podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Yeah, perfect. It, you know, it all started because, you know, John Sebastian, I don't know if you know who's an Italian. You know, yeah, believe it or not, from uh, Love and Spoonful? Yeah, he, he pronounced my name correctly, and it screwed everybody up. <laughs> but the American version is Cavalieri. Yeah. Okay. Well, welcome Felix Cavalieri to, to my little podcast here. So hopefully you're not too not leery sure, about doing this. I think it's going to yeah, be I'm fun. Not, man. Where, where are you located? I don't even know. Yeah. I'm in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Oh, my wife's from Scottsdale, Arizona. She'll be thrilled. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, she was cool. going out there in Mesa area and Scottsdale. Area yeah. Trying okay. to get me you're out there. Na- you're in Nashville, correct? I'm in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell yeah. right by my accent, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're originally obviously from New York. Yeah. And you you grew up. Uh, you went to Syracuse. That's kind of I exciting. Did. Yeah. So yeah, did, oh is yeah. It, is it true you went there with Lou, when Lou Reed was there? Did you guys Correct. ever have any the same time musical interactions or uh... Uh, not musical? But you know, we we knew each other pretty well for all those years. I mean, and then he he migrated to New York, and I went back to New York, and you know, so I saw him. You know, not too long before he passed, he he got a, a nice award from the I think it was the Long Island Hall of Fame. Oh, okay. Good guy. Good guy. Yeah. Yeah. You've got such an interesting background that you you grew up a classical pianist and you went to Syracuse for pre-med. But then, you know, what changed your life, it sounds like, was was uh, discovering rock and roll. And uh, it's it's. It, I heard you say that it was easier to play bec- from classical, but it was the, oh, yeah. what you needed to learn was the, the soul part of it. Right. So how do you learn how to play with soul? Well, you don't really learn how to play with soul. You know what I'm saying? It's 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 interesting because I mean, there's really two answers to that. You know, uh, the first answer is, uh, uh, you know, like I hate to say it, but like sorrow and grieving and pain and stuff like that. That's where your soul comes from. Comes from like life. You know, I lost my mom. It freaked me out. And, you know, like there, there's your soul right there. But the other answer is, you know, when we had the band, when we had the Rascals, we would do. Uh, Beatle covers or stuff like that in the beginning, but it didn't sound like the Beatles. It sounded like us. You know what I'm saying? And it's just the same thing as my accent coloring my my my, my conversation. It's just natural, especially mm-hmm. when you know you grow up listening to what what what, what I listened to. You see, I, I had the tremendous advantage of hearing Alan Freed in New York City. You know, Alan Freed brought it from Cleveland to New York, so I heard the very beginning of of rock and roll. And the beginning of rock and roll was mostly soul music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic, definitely. Fantastic soul music. Great, the greatest singers you ever heard in your life. You know what I mean? And and to this day, I still don't know if we touch those 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 voices. Well, yeah. So they they say that your music is quote unquote blue eyed soul. Are you offended yeah. by that term, or do you no, embrace? Check it? it out, man. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm not offended by anything, man. I mean, like I say, it's just funny, you know, because uh, that 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 kind of nomenclature it 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 
it started, I think it really started with um, uh, Righteous Brothers. Okay. You know, Righteous so. Brothers? Never yeah, close yeah, your yeah. eyes. Yeah. You know? and, and then it just became like an excuse because, you know, it's such a mess now, man. I don't even want to talk about it. You know what I'm saying? But in the old days, way before you were born, my friend, they used to play uh, soul on the radio and folk on the radio and pop on the radio and, you know, this punk on the radio on the same stations. Mm-hmm. And then they realized, wow, you know, we should probably sell more product to the fill in the blank, you know, mm-hmm. and the demographic thing took over. And then it became, right. OK, so we're just going to play this. Oh, and then we're just going to play this. And, and, you know, that's that's not music. That's just that's business. Right. Well, it's a funny story, though, too, where you guys were like, were you recording next to Otis Redding? And he came into oh, the yeah. studio yeah. and said, oh, you guys are white. Like, because I mean, <laughs> when you just hear yeah. on the radio, you might. That was like where the term blue eyed soul originated from, because the people that sound like they're black singers or black music and then they're white people. Yeah. You know, I mean, Atlantic Records was a whole different environment from like uh, the, the uh Columbia's and RCA's and all that, you know, when you go to a studio in a big, you know, corporate structure, there's all these signs up recording, do not enter recording, do not enter. But Atlantic was like a big, big family, you know, and I was so proud to be part of that family because, you know, you walked in and, you know, this Otis Redding, man, you know, you certainly going to welcome in your studio, you know. Mm-hmm. So one, one day he came, he knocked on the, on the, on the door while we were recording. Cause you know, Nobody's going to stop Otis, right? Yeah. yeah. And he says, my God, they are white. <laughs> Took off. <laughs> That's such an interesting time, though. Like, it just it, yeah. it blows my mind because this was before I was born. But the whole segregation thing, like, so how did that work? Is it just these artists got a pass because they're on a record label? Or how does that how does that work with the segregation thing? Does that is that was that? What do you mean, these artists, I, I don't understand. These artists got to pass what on, on stage or on, on the radio or like in the studio and stuff. Did you have to segregate from black people and white people? And is it that segregated at those times or or no? The opposite. Yeah. The opposite. You know, I mean, I never saw that in the studio anywhere. I saw that on the road everywhere. You know, because when I first started going on the road, I was I was uh, I mean, I, I was going with Joey D and the Starlighters, who was an integrated group. Yeah, and that was that was my first real exposure to what we call segregation, because we couldn't stay in the same hotel. They wouldn't even put gas in our car. Oh, so it's like that movie Green Book. It's exactly like that. And, and you know, it's wow. kind of shocking because, you know, I mean. I went to school uh, in a school at Pelham, New York, and I don't know if you, that Emmett Till, uh, you know, uh, situation that happened where he got killed down in, the, in I think, Mississippi. Mm. One of the, the gentlemen who went down there and was killed was a fellow I went to school with by the name of Mickey Schwerner. So mm. I saw that firsthand. I, I was kind of like privy to, wow, you mean you actually went down there and they, they killed him, you know? So when I went down south for the first time and, and we were refused to stay in certain states, you know, it kind of freaked me out, man. It was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Was very that would be very strange. What else did you learn from being in Joey D and the Starlighters? Because that was your first, like, real pro gig, right? I mean, I know you played at the Catskills <laughs> Mountains and things. Well, Wasn't it? they were a lot older than me. So I learned that older guys do drugs. <laughs> and what kind of guys, drugs were they doing at that time? Oh, it's just, you know, that's, I don't 
weed and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. That's legal now. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to get Joey and those guys in trouble because Joey didn't, you know what I mean? But, you know, the band, they were older than I. They were men. I was a boy. Okay. And I couldn't find my, my, I couldn't find my, I couldn't find my hotel room after those guys got through with me. I I know (laughs) I'm in here somewhere. Is this the right (laughs) building? I don't know, you know. Yeah, it was it was it was wild days, man. You know, you're a kid coming in, you know, and you're coming into a man's world. Yeah. And that's when you decided I don't want to go back to school. I don't want to go. I don't want to be a doctor anymore. I want to be a musician. This sounds like fun. It not only sounds like fun, it was fun. It, it's yeah. fun, you know, especially, you know, when you're a side man in a band. You know, and, I, and I've got a book coming out. I, I mentioned this in the book, you know. Mm-hmm. You have no pressure on you when you're a side man. You just go. You know, you go to the show. People show up, they show up, they don't show up. Not your problem. You know what I mean? You just, you know, you just go and play. It's it's really fun, especially if with your if you're with a good bunch of guys that you know really love to play, you know. So I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I, I think one of the highlights it's gotta be going and uh was now explain this to me. Was it the Beatles open for you guys or you open for the Beatles? Believe it or not, believe it or not, they opened for Joey D's band in Europe in Scandinavia. Because they, 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 well, Joey, Joey, you know, had a big hit, you know, and, and they, they had, I think they had also made a movie at the time, you know, whereas Beatles were known in Europe, but they weren't known in the States yet. They hadn't gotten over here yet. That Ed Sullivan's uh, show had not happened yet. Mm-hmm. It was about to happen and everybody was to find out who they were. So, yeah, it was kind of enlightening. I mean, it was kind of a shocking thing to walk into a venue where everybody's totally hysterical. I mean, totally hysterical. I mean, if you could hear the music, you were doing well, you know, it was, what is this? Oh, that's the Beatles. It's the black, you know, and you hear, see these guys with long hair and they're on a stage and they were kind of dressed up, you know, they, they had to wear suits, and weird things like we used to wear. Everybody wore weird things in those days, you know, but bottom line was that, uh, you know, I've said it many times. I listened what I could hear, you know, I, I, I didn't hear anything special when they did American music. In other words, it was okay. You know, they were cover band. But mm-hmm. when they did their music, which no one had ever heard, you had to just listen, you know, not only because of the crowd's reaction, which was, you know, I never heard, never heard anything like that, you know, but because it was really, really good. You know, it was really different. You know, it was, uh, you know, like, I want to hold your hand and love me do. And what the hell was that? That's so cool, man. You know, it was just cool. And and, and cool is, is the word to to describe, I don't know what that is, but I like it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So did you try to befriend them at that point and be like, I, I need to get on these guys' good side? And uh... Well, you know, uh, God took care of that for us because our manager, when we started the rest, was brought them to the United States, Sid Bernstein. So I got oh, to know okay. them, you know. I don't know. I yeah, you know later up, didn't you later end up playing in Ringo's band? I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah, yeah we'll talk about that way, too. You're, you're, you're way yeah. the... You're way down the end of the line. Well, not the end yeah, of the line, yeah, but yeah. in the 90s no, so, now, yeah. So, yeah, we come back, and then you start the – I love this thing, how you start the Rascals. Like, your plan is, I'm going to get the best guys that I can, songwriters and musicians. I love that strategy, and, and it worked. I mean, I think you did get some of the best musicians. Yeah, I wanted to get – you know, because when I heard the Beatles, I, I really considered them more of a singing group, you know, than a musical group, you know, Uh you know, not not that they were bad, but you know, there was nobody there that was because you know I came from a classical background and I and I grew up like in a jazz world. You know, we used to go to the mm-hmm. Newport Jazz Fest, so I heard guys that really played. You know what I mean? Played like you know, 
And I said, man, how about if I put good singers and good players together? That should be a great, great combination. And so I found, you know, in New York City, I found, you know, people who, for the most part, had, had always been like the, uh, the kind of like the leader figure of their band. You know, because there's always there's usually one guy in a band or one person in a band that everybody looks at. You know, that's, you know, John Fogarty. You know what I'm saying? That's, uh, well, I had four of those people. How did you convince all those people to leave their other projects and come with you? Well, they, they were together at the time. Three of them were with a, with a, with an offshoot of Joey's band. And Eddie was a little young, oh. you know. Uh, they, okay. they were with, but the drummer I had to find, you know, and I found him through a, 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 a lady that I was seeing, you know, who, 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 you know, I told this story so many times, but she said, man, you guys got a good drummer, but he's not as good as a guy I know. I said, what do you mean? What are you talking about? You're a bank teller. What the hell do you know? Nothing. You know? <laughs> she took me to see this gentleman by the name of Dino Donnelly, who was working at a place called the Metropole, which was a place where you could look in the window and see the band. Okay. I heard him play two songs. I, I, I couldn't believe it. It was so fantastically entertaining, not only from a musical point of view, but he was a show. He would put on a show, you know, he, because in, in in those days, that was a jazz club. And he learned from people that put on a show like Buddy Rich, Gene Krupa, Louis Belson. These are drummers who lead bands, kind of mm -hmm. like Phil Collins, you know. Only right. they were like, they were like really like flipping the sticks up in the air and catching it in time and playing and twirling the sticks and doing that and playing their tail off. So I found guys, you know, and, and it's really interesting because... I found out that, you know, it's not always the best musicians that make an all-star team, you know what I mean, like a basketball team. You got to play together. You got to pass the ball, you know. And so I got very lucky finding, finding these guys. Yeah, the chemistry there is so great. And then, so one of your first songs, I, I didn't realize it actually wasn't, you didn't, you guys didn't write it, but Good Lovin' is a, is a song written by someone else, but you guys made it your own hit pretty much. I mean, that's, your version is the biggest version of that song. Well, you know, uh, in those days, uh, the clubs were 21 and over. You know, they, the owners, the proprietors, the, you know, the people that hired you, they, they did not want any new songs. They wanted songs mm -hmm. that were on the radio, you know, that were proven, you know, like in, in, in their eyes to be what they call covers. And we all did yeah. that. I mean, Beatles did that. Everybody did that. You know what I mean? Because that's the way it was to work in a nightclub, to work in a, in a place, in a bar. So I would go out of my way, really out of my way, to find obscure songs that were on the radio. And I would have to go and find the 45 to prove that it was on the radio because a lot of these songs were not hits. Okay. You know, at all. Like Good Lovin' wasn't a hit. Mustang Sally. Nobody ever heard Mustang Sally. You know, heard it on the radio. You know, so I went up to New Rochelle, which is a suburb town of where I grew up. Went into this neighborhood, you know, and 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 bought the forty-five, and I'd show them. I said, "Man, if you don't believe it, this is this is really a, a song. Now it's not a hit." And then we did our version of it, you know, and and it's really interesting because a lot of songs came out of that, you know, like for example, "Good Loving" is a perfect example. But you know, since we we're on Atlantic, and Atlantic recorded us in the club before we went into the studio, they heard all these songs that we did and they gave them to Wilson Pickett. <laughs> I 
I'm talking about Land of a Thousand Dances. I'm talking about Mustang Sally. They copped yeah. it. They copped it. You know yeah, what I mean? Those and are great and so they had number one. Wait a second. How about this? Oh, no, 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 no. So that's when you start getting educated, you know? Ah, I get it. It's, it's not the money. It's the money. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys have, now how does that work? Because in those days, artists kind of, I mean, I think artists are probably still getting ripped off, but I mean, did you guys have a good contract and stuff? Because a lot of these songs are still played today. Oh, you yeah. get a we, had, we had a better contract than the people before us. Let's put it like that. Okay. We, okay. we were very fortunate. Uh, our, our attorney, whose name was Stevens Weiss, uh, he gave us a good deal. Mm. I mean, in that deal was uh, free studio time, which was unheard of. Mm. At, at a major, you know, because again, it was an eight-track studio. There were no eight-track studios. So everybody else, mm. including Beatles and Stones, they had four. So this was this was important. So we had free studio time, unlimited. We just go there as long as you keep making hits, you're here. And uh, our contract was good. Uh, the problem is, you know, as 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 it, it progressed, you know how these these people they, they they go for better deals and stuff like that. Some some of the people in the industry uh, were more uh, aware of getting better royalty rates than us, you know. But okay. you have to learn all that. I mean, th these these are yeah, things absolutely. when you're you know a kid coming into the music business, you don't really know the music business. You know the music, but you don't know the business. Yeah. So uh, you have to find somebody that's going to give you advice correctly. Like, for example, you talk about Otis Redding. Now, Otis Redding was way ahead of his time in terms of his knowledge of publishing and producing and ownership. So was Sam Cooke. So you learned from those guys. Well, I tried to learn from those guys, but they were they were gone. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't want to know too much in the record business. <laughs> it's a tough world in those days, man. Read Tommy James' uh, book. You'll get it. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely it's an interesting time. But So how can I be sure? That's that's such a classic song. And you say that it wouldn't have happened without you know, the Beatles, with Yesterday or Michelle. And but Now, that song is about your relationship at the time, and you just yes. weren't sure if that was the right relationship. And I mean, yeah, you can I, tell was, I, was, I was engaged to this young girl, you know, the young girl was, was kind of my muse, you know what I mean? Like I wrote all those songs, you know, about, about her. And, and then one day I just said, wait, I'm way too young to get married. I'm, what am I doing here? You know, well, let me, let me slow down a little bit. I mean, my goodness, how can I be sure? You know, like, you know, and you know, uh, but the reason I say that about the Beatles is because see the the radio stations have always been kind of locked up. I mean, you know, they're more locked up than ever now because it's all corporate, you know. But not, yeah. what I mean by that is, like, they had to play the Beatles, you know. Uh, so when the Beatles came out with something that was like a three-quarter, six-eight, you know, ballad with French connotations, wow, there's a door that just opened up, isn't it? Mm -hmm. you know? so, no, definitely. I mean, we owe them so much, seriously, not, not only – they, they they just opened doors constantly, open doors, and then we walked in. <laughs> well, exactly. so the song, yeah, with the song "Grooving" though, that that's like that was more um, uh, in, uh, based on your interest in Af what is it, Afro-Cuban music? Is that what's is that what's called? Well, yeah, I mean, basically, yeah. New York City is a hotbed of uh, you know Latin music, always has been. I mean, and you know, uh, if if you take the well not now everybody knows about it but i mean in those days if you take the time to go into a latin you know concert 
my God, it's a whole orchestra. You know, here's a four-piece band. These guys, these guys are playing in clubs with horn sections, and they're, they're rocking, man. And you're talking about really good musicianship, you mm-hmm. know. So, you know, I mean, I, I became enamored with the, not only the music but the community. And you know, it's a long story, but Latin music plays a ma- major part in uh, the metropolitan New York area. Okay, I thought that was more like Florida. I didn't know it was New York as well. That's interesting. Now it's Florida. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, it, I, it, 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 it's all over the country now. You know, I mean, yeah. but, I mean, like I say, in those days, New York was very well represented. I mean, uptown. <laughs> I mean, seriously, if you want to hear some serious music, you know, like, you know, you go to one of these Latin concerts, you know, they, they're not messing around, man. They, they, they're really good, really mm. hot, too, man. And they got like three or four drummers. I mean, like, you know. And everybody's playing separately. You know, Carlos Santana really capitalized on that, you know, as yeah. well. You know, no, that stuff is amazing. I, I nobody love, heard you know, of it before. Before. Nobody ever heard of it before, but he heard of it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And you brought that in. That's a good one. I love how all these songs are so different. Like, and then it's a beautiful morning. I just heard the story about how you wrote that. That I mean, it makes so much sense. You had a number one record, you're in love, and you were in Hawaii. Is that true? You're those three things, and not you bad, wrote that huh? song. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Hawaii really accepted the Rascals. Uh, we were huge there, and, and that's a whole story. You know what I'm saying? That's a, I tried to outline that. That's just it's just a stroke of luck. Very interesting, but stroke of luck. And uh, so, uh, how could you not feel those emotions when you're out there and you get all that stuff happening? You know, I mean, I uh, I was so happy I fell off a motorcycle, almost broke my hand. <laughs> you know? Oh shit! <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> In Hawaii, yeah, th- those were great days, man. I mean, I, I can't t- begin to tell you. It was, it was is really it harder fun. to write a song when you're when you're happy than when you're sad? Because I've heard that when you're sad, sometimes you just want to write and uh, you know get it out to be cathartic. Yeah, it's it's all the same, man. You know, like I I, I mean I I feel that uh, you know a, a lot of people have different ways of of looking at at the music. You know, John Lennon really let you know when he was going through changes. Really. Mm-hmm. Let you know. Uh, but I was looking on, on, I think it was uh, Sunday morning. I think it was Sunday morning, CBS show. And they were showing the New Orleans funeral processions. And they show you what happens is basically, you know, it starts off as the, they call it the first line, which is grieving. And mm-hmm. then the second line, when that kicks in, they're rocking. Now because they look at life in a different way as a happy world especially afterwards. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. now we've had enough of this, you no, know, this, this so-called working our tail off. Now we're free. Now we're going to, so that's how I approach music. I, I like it to be happy. I like it to be up. If you want to hear my problems, I'll tell you, <laughs> but not on. Not, <laughs> not, not, <laughs> okay. You know, well then, you know. yeah. So the song people got to be free. So is there a little bit of confusion on this because um, was it about the assassination of Martin Luther King or was it uh, the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy um, but I also heard a story that it was about some uh, encounter you guys had with some uh, rednecks in Florida. So what, what is, is there <laughs> no. any truth to any of this? Well, they're all true. It's just, okay. no, that was really uh, written because I was working for uh, uh, Robert Kennedy's uh, campaign and uh, dating a, a, a young lady who was literally present at that uh, horrible event out in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And it just freaked me out, man. I mean, it really did. Because, you know, um, I'm sure it's the same today when someone gets involved with a with a candidate. 
you know, you really are really, really like fervent. You know, we were really into, I was really into like what, come on, we got to make a change, but we got to get from, you know, here to here to here to here. And uh, when that happened, it, it really just, it destroyed a lot of us. It really did. It was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And it is a big deal. Still is a big deal. Yeah, that's a beautiful song. So then is it true that after the song came out that the Rascals would only perform at concerts that featured an African-American act? Yeah, there, there's really not a correlation between the song and that. That that was just an instance that happened. Okay. Uh, you know, basically, you know, we, we, we were on Atlantic Records. We were the first really white act on the red and black label. And so when we, when we got a hit, it was a combination of the R&B stations and the pop stations. So basically they played us on both, on both stations. And so we had, you know, that was our audience, so to speak. And um, one day we were working and, and, and there was a, a group, I think it was Young Holt Trio or Young Holt Limited. I think they had Grazing in the Grass or something. And they came backstage and it's just like, you know, fifth dimension, fifth, fifth dimension. They're, they're not, they're not. R&B group, they're a pop group, you know what I'm saying? But they, uh, people like the uh, Young Hope, they never get to play for white people because they're a black band, they were a black group. So he came hmm. back to me and he said, man, like, thank you for letting us on here. We never get a chance to play for white audiences. And I says, man, thank you for coming. We never get a chance to play for black audiences. Why don't we get together and make this happen all the time? Well, little did I know what I was saying. <laughs> because it's easier, easier said than done. Oh boy, it cost a lot. You, you don't realize that, you know, not everybody is thinking that way. And believe me, they're not thinking that way. <coughs> as we it's know, it's so weird for me to think about because I mean, as, as long as I've grown up, that's never been an issue. But back in those, and that's in your lifetime, which is really even weirder to think that it wasn't that long ago. Not only was it that long ago, but you don't see many mixed bills today. Think you don't think so? It. I don't think so. Hmm. I mean, maybe you see them there, but I, I don't know, man. You don't see too many. You know, where our country is right now? <whistles> Hello. I don't know. You know, like I say, you know, the interesting thing is if you if you take classical music and say, okay, we're going to start with classical music. Not, not that that was the beginning of music, but that's a place to start. Mm -hmm. The only drums that they had were war drums. They were marching drums, timpanis. Let's yeah. get ready to kill, 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 kill. You know what I mean? We got the, you know, Shotkovsky's, you know, War of 1812 and all that kind of stuff. And then you go to Africa and you got rhythm, 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 sexy, dancing, ladder, loving. Blah, 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 blah. Well, if you put the two of those together, you got pop music. You got the melody, you got the chords, you got all changes, and you got the rhythm. Now, without rhythm today in music, there wouldn't be any hip hop. There wouldn't be nothing. There wouldn't be anything. So mm -hmm. how dare you separate those two things and say, well, I only want to listen to this. Oh, I only want to listen to That's where it is. See, I only want to listen to this because, and a lot of reasons. You know, there's a lot of reasons. Some of them not so funny. You know what I'm saying? But it's ridiculous. That's that's music is is a marriage of those two, you know, things. You think about, it, you know, and yeah. so well, that's what makes music so great is you have all these influences from. It's very eclectic. There's, I mean, Groovin doesn't sound like you know, um, Beautiful Morning. I mean, they, they, the songs are all very different. Again, you got to point to those guys over in England, man. Did you ever hear yeah. two of their records that sound the same? 
See the no, bar exactly. was up way over here, man. You want to you want to play? You want to play on this field? Let me tell you something, man. Because I mean, yeah, we'll never see anything like that. I mean, the way and they wrote all those freaking songs. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on, Elton John's another one. You know, Billy Joel's and all these these guys. Come on, you know. I yeah. mean, it's just it's you know, it's it's amazing. You know. Right. Yeah. Well, the Beatles, you know, Ed Sullivan, that was a big thing, but you guys did Ed Sullivan too. What was your experience like that? Cause I had the drummer <laughs> from uh Creedence Clearwater on here and he was oh, saying yeah. that Ed yeah. Sullivan was like, he was hammered when they, when they tried to to meet with him and he was just really drunk. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that he was a, a so what was your experience like with on oh, doing that show? Oh. Well, see, that was a whole different show. The reason is probably the last show of its kind because, you know, when you do a TV show today, uh, you get a union scale. You know, you get whatever the union goes. And you hear all these big stars complaining about that. But he had a budget. Hmm. Let's say he got a $200,000 budget to do his television show. So he would pay the acts their normal fee. Unheard of. Wow. So it was a, well, but because you see the world that he came from was like Walter Winchell. He was a columnist. And in those days, way back before my time, the columnists used to make the groups and the pop stars and the stars because of their publicity in the newspapers. That was a big thing. You get in the newspapers and people know you. Now we've got, oh my God, we've got thousands of outlets, but they weren't in those days. So he came up from that world. He knew all the, and you know, all of the acts, uh, especially like the comedians and stuff like that. So they gave him a show, huge show, eight o'clock. But he was, he was an older man. You know what I mean? He, he was not like, you know, a spring chicken, you know, and he was tough, man. He was tough. So when, and I, I've said this many times, when, when you did his show, you, you rehearsed for seven days. You yeah, started on a Monday. Man, that's crazy. And you did a complete in studio with an audience, not televised, on Saturday night. Hmm. And then Sunday night was the real deal. And it was chaotic. <laughs> because Think about it now. You know, now we tape everything. Yeah. So let's say my act goes on and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a whatever you want to call it. And I've got two minutes and 15 seconds. Okay. Fine. That means the introduction to me is going to be 15 seconds. So he would go on and do a 30-second intro. Now, where are you going to get those 15 seconds from? You're going to get it from you. <laughs> well, Jackie so did Mason, they cut you off, or do you have to cut the song short? Oh, they cut us off. Oh, but it's okay. not just us. They cut everybody. I mean, in other words, like yeah. that's what Jackie Mason got in all that trouble for. I don't know if you remember. It was before your time. Yeah, the okay. comedy act. You can't interrupt the comedy act in the middle. Say, well, I'm going to, you know, you go, you, you have a, a form. And he says, you got to cut. They go like this, cut. And he said, yeah, cut. <laughs> Look it up. How are you going to cut it? Finger, huh? See, wow. it's because Ed, he, you know, he would look into the audience, you know, and now you got 15 second introduction. Oh, there's uh, Jackie O out there, you know, somebody, and he start. Well, there goes 20 seconds right there. Now, where are you going to get it from? You know, <laughs> so it was a madhouse, man. That's but, you crazy. Know, oh my God. You know, my, my, my buddy Eddie there, we used to live together, man. And, you know, you're used to doing like a two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour show. And you come in and you're doing two minutes. You know what I mean? And all that tension backstage. He would go back yeah. and wreck our apartment. 
you know, with all that extra adrenaline, you know. Yeah. It was wild it was doing this show. Lucky, though, right? I mean, that helped you guys get out there. Oh, no doubt. No, yeah, it was yeah. huge. I mean, everybody yeah. watched that. That and Milton Berle, you know, and Red Skelton. They were interesting days, man. I mean, you know, like, I met so many really interesting people backstage at Ed Sullivan. It was really fun. Yeah. Well, what about um, August 6th, 1970, the Festival for Peace? You guys played that with Creedence Clearwater, Paul Simon, John Sebastian, Steppenwolf. Tell yeah. me, do you have any memories of that show? That sounds amazing. Well, you know, there's an old saying in the music business, like, you know, the 60s, if you remember it, you weren't there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember, like, you know, you remember some things, you know, but like I say, it's it's uh, one of the many shows that you do, you know, kind of remember with fun because, you know, there weren't that many acts in those days. So when you got together, you know, like we recently, you know, lost uh, Ronnie Spector, you know what I'm saying? Mm, yeah, Prior so. to that, Leslie West. and we, we knew all these people because there weren't that many of us, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, so it, it, it's kind of like a, a it's kind of like a reunion when you get around these these folks, you know, and uh, it's so interesting because now, what is it, 60, 50, 60 years later, the only time we meet is on cruise ships and things like that, you know, because there's not big shows like that anymore, you know. You used to mm -hmm. have a lot of people on the shows. The The ticket price doesn't warrant it, you know what I mean? You can't have five or six acts on the show because it'll be a $500, $1,000 ticket. You know, you're not going to get that as a, as a rule, you know. So it, it's 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 always interesting to work with your peers. I mean, I got so many memories, you know, like Sly and the Family Stone, you know, and and all these guys, you know. And I mean, it was just like it was. I hate to keep using the fun word fun, but I really enjoyed every moment of it. I, it was a pleasure working on the road in those days. You know, now it's you know it's very difficult. You know, we used to be able to go to some cities and actually load our gear in the back of planes, drive right on the runway. Mm -hmm. You don't want to try that now. <laughs> Well, yeah, a, <laughs> a lot of bands do these uh, fly-in dates, so then they don't bring their own instruments, right? They just use the instruments of, like, with drums, at least. They say, like, because I was like, how do you bring your drums on the airplane? They're like, you just use the drums of the, the, the venue. Try a Hammond organ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So then a lot you of chiropractors to thank me all the time for their patience because they're trying yeah. to carry this thing. Yeah, it's a different. It's a different. Well, I mean, it, it obviously is like you know when you get to the Billy Joel, and the Elton Johns, and of course Bon Jovi and U two. I mean, they have semis, you know, big sure. semis carrying all their gear. Well, you know, you have to be realistic. You know, you know at what level you're at in the industry. I mean, you know, when you have a five million dollar stage, you know, and they have two of them. U two, they got one Jeez. on the East Coast. We got two. That, that's a lot of money. It's a different, yeah. it's a different tier, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, that's fine. You know, at least we're still here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, because the Rascals, they broke up in, what was it like 19, well, Eddie left because he wanted, yeah. he didn't want to travel or something. So then you guys stayed around for a couple albums and that didn't work out. Then you did some solo albums and did some other stuff. But I want to hear about this band, Treasure. You had this band, Treasure, oh. and uh, it was with, I did not know that you were in a band with <laughs> Vinnie Vincent from future kiss guitar player. Like he's got a cult following. There's a lot of people that are really interested in him. So how did you find him and what was it like working with him at the time? Well, I was, I was doing an album 
in uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut. And Connecticut is not exactly a hotbed for musicians, <laughs> which is the reason that I, I moved down here. Uh, okay. it's, it, it's more of a place for executives and you know people that own sure. the record companies and stuff. And uh, I was down in Bridgeport, and there was this gentleman who had a studio. His name was Paul Lekka, L-E-K-A. He had a couple of big hits uh, as a producer. And I needed a guitar player. And he said, well, there's this kid around the block. You know, and this kid, his name wasn't Vinnie Vincent at the time. He came in and I said, this guy can play, man. You know, when, when you, when you see like, uh, you know, like uh, it's, it's, it's like these guys, I don't know if you watch football, but you know, these kids, yeah. these young guys that are like, they're like that, like that Joe Burrows and, you know, Mahomes and, uh, you know, wow, yeah. these, kids, this, these, these, these guys are pretty good. Well, this guy was really mm-hmm. good. I, at that time was on uh, Epic Records and, um, you know, I just I just like to make music, man. I, I mean, I, it's, uh, so I, Boston was really hot at that time. Mm. So I said, "Oh man, how about a guitar-based group?" You know, and I asked I asked him to join. You know, and uh, he did, and uh, was treasure, and it was very interesting. <laughs> I don't know how much you know about Vinnie Vincent's story, but I would suggest that you know you take a yeah. look. And to the, I don't know about Wikipedia because Wikipedia has got a mind of its own. You know, you've got to be, but I mean, if you do a little study, you realize that was quite an interesting person that I was dealt with. He lives down here now and mm-hmm. uh, we, we stay in touch. And, he, mm. you know, he's, he's very thankful for the fact that I brought him into the so-called music world because when Kiss heard him, they got home, you know? Yeah. And that's another story. And then he went yeah. on to his own, but he still is quite a guitar player. I mean, seriously, he's very, 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 very talented. Yeah. So in a way, you kind of discovered him. Well, I, I discovered him, yeah, in a, in a, in a local, uh, you know, area yeah. in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Yeah. And, you and brought him I'm into the limelight. Him. Yeah, he was great, man. I mean, he's still, he's, he's very talented. He's had a difficult life, but he's, you know, who hasn't, you know? Yeah. No, that's too bad. Well, oh, yeah. So now we got to talk about this. So 95, you get to join the Ringo Starr All-Star Band. With, I mean, so the people you played with, Randy Bachman of Bachman Turner Overdrive, Mark Farner of Grand Funk, who I had on the show, Billy Preston, uh, John Entwistle of The Who, and also Zach Starkey, who also drums in The Who. And then you had some special guests, Joe Walsh, Steven Tyler, Slash, and Stevie Nicks. Hopefully you remember some of those shows, because that sounds yeah. amazing to work with those. Well, I was awake shows. by then, you know, I was, I was, <laughs> <laughs> I, I came, I came too, you know. Of course, I remember. You know, it was really fun, you know, because uh, uh, Ringo is such an interesting guy, man. He's he's just a gem, you know, and he's a perfect example of, you know, people who still love to play, you know. Uh, obviously, he doesn't need any money, you know what I mean? He just goes out and yeah. he loves it. And all of those guys, I mean, the, uh, John Etwell's not here anymore. Billy Preston's not here anymore, you know. I became very good friends with Mark Farner, which was total opposite ends of the spectrum you know we just hit it off you know and uh that was fun and 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 uh, i got a chance to get to asia which i always wanted to get to and we were unable to get there because of internal strife in our band you know a lot of our guys didn't like to fly you know and so we didn't get a chance to see a lot of the world and I, i'm a sagittarian and i like to travel so it, so it you really got to see asia yeah yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, working with Ringo was, was uh, 
you know, we, what you do is you, you each do each other's songs. You go around in a circle, you know, and you do your mm-hmm. song. But it, it was really interesting because, you know, like I say, he's he's a charming man. You know, he's a good guy. I mean, like, for example, like when we had a day off, we want to go to the movies. You had to have the whole theater. You couldn't have, you couldn't go with people there. We had the whole theater to ourselves. That's it. Yeah. Wow. Was, you know, well, especially after George and, and, and John, you know, I mean, you know, it, it, it's not worth taking a chance, you know, with all these crazies out there. So he goes by. Oh, that's he goes, true. So we have the whole theater. It's, you know, and the, and the, the proprietor's glad to do it. I don't know whether they get paid or not. It's not my business. You know, I, all I know is that they accommodated him, you know. That's very, very interesting. interesting guy. Did Ringo tell you stories of the Beatles? Uh, you know, basically, you know, here we are, all these, in quotes, all stars. You know, it's just the Ringo star. All, well, I tell you, there's only one star there, man, and it's Ringo star. Because you know how you're, you're talking in the dressing room, you got all these guys talking and all of a sudden, somebody will ask him a question. You know what I mean? Like, for example, hey, Ringo, one of the guys, Ringo, how come you always had that? You know, you're sitting up on those drums, you know, way, way up here. Well, it's like all of a sudden you hear somebody asking a question. Everybody stops talking and you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is, well, I got to be seen, haven't I? <laughs> you know, yeah, he, he commands respect from all of us. I mean, you you just feel it, you know. This is a friggin' yeah. beetle, man. You're sitting right next to. You look over there in the middle of the song. You said, "Oh my God, there's a beetle, there's a beetle over there." <laughs> you know. Whoa, wait a minute, man. You know. And he's over there talking like this. You go, "Oh man, this is this is surreal." You know. It's just that's how it is, man. You respect, respect, respect. Yeah, well, yeah, and, all, I, and there's not egos because I mean, all you guys are you really are all stars. I mean, the drummer of the Who, Mark Farner, yourself. I mean, so there's not any sort of like ego clashing going on when you have all those people. Well, you know, it's interesting because, uh, of course, there is, you know, but um, what happened is uh, I, I kind of helped a, a fellow come aboard who's a, a whose name's Mark Rivera. He's a, he's a Billy Joel's uh, kind of sax player. You know, okay. But he's, he also was able to conduct without uh, ruffling anybody's feathers, you know, because he wasn't an in quote all star. But you okay. need you need guidance. See, you can't yeah. have you you, you got to have you got to have a, a captain of the ship. You know, and so Mark did that, and he did a great job. I, I don't know if he's still with him, but you know, bottom line is he. Um, I, I tell you, it's a great story because you know. My songs, you know, you're talking about grooving and, you know, beautiful morning and stuff like that. They use, they use conga, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they're kind of Latin. And John Entwistle, rest his soul, he says, you know, I, 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 I can't play this. You know, he goes, I, I, I can't feel this. He says, I, I feel like I'm skipping when I play it. And I says, oh, boy, I better get me a Puerto Rican or something up here, bro. <laughs> so Mark came in to do congas and you know, was able to be musical. I needed some help. Come on, man. You know, yeah. bring me a Latino here, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, that's really cool. Wow. Oh, it's great. It's great. And, and yeah. Mark's a great, great guy. Super talented guy. So he, he worked with Ringo. You, you hit it right on the nose. You have to have a coordinator that's not one of the all-stars to do the mm. coordination, you know? No, uh, and, and he's got to be capable, of course, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and also through the, throughout the nineties and, and even till today, I mean, your music is, is in so many movies and TV shows. Now, I, like I said, when I had the uh, drummer of Credence on, he was saying that for him, he's just like, 
say yes to everything. We just want the check. We don't care. What's, is that you have the same philosophy, or is it no, more like no, artistic creative no, control? No, 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 yeah. no. I remember, you know, see, uh, oh, about oh god, about twenty years ago, sampling was a big deal. They would sample the hip hop artists would sample your stuff. Yeah. Well, they have to get your permission because okay. I mean, first of all. Especially if they're going to change anything such as lyrics, that that's mm-hmm. definitely a no-no. You got to change. Well, I mean, you know, they came out with a thing where this guy was beating the crap out of his wife. I said, "Wait a minute, I don't want to be in that song." You know, no thanks. Cut, you, you can't say yes to everything. You can't. Okay. No. Now, on the other so hand, you've got, you know, you got stories like what's his name there, uh, Lock or Rock. You know who I mean? Yeah. He didn't want Should to be- do that. Yeah. Oh, he didn't. You know how much money he made from that Like a Rock commercial? We could all retire. All of us. He didn't want to do it, but his manager said, you got to do this. You got to do this, man. Because, see, you, you feel like, you know, wow, that's my song. It's about my, you know, whatever. And you're yeah. going to put it in a truck? How many millions of dollars he made over that song? Look it up. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure that's a, that's a big one. I mean, I hear those kind of stories all the time. But you guys get pretty good payment for those Songs and like in the movies, I feel like it's pretty cool because a lot of times they don't, it's not, you know, ex- exploiting it in any way. They're just showing it in the background. And usually, like, I mean, you know, Patch Adams and Apollo 13. You know, my favorite one is, I don't know if you remember this one, but Kingpin. When, yeah. and, and it's, it's so funny because they play It's a Beautiful Morning. And it's just like, I mean, this guy's like an alcoholic. He's just going through all this shit and they play It's a Beautiful Morning. It's like right. ironic, but it's like really hilarious. I've heard some really good things. Well, let me ask you a question for you. You used to make more money than you make now. You know, our industry is really, I won't say the word brutal because it's the nicest word I can say, but I mean, they know where the money is and they have figured out, you know, it's the same thing. Like, you know, when you, when you look at legislation, you know, they have figured out how to get the Senate and the house to do what they want. So you used to make a lot more money than you make now on those things. You know, they have changed the the way it's uh, uh, like, for example, like it used to be where you did a commercial and if they played it on a network and so many times, you know, a month, you got a big, nice check. Now they just buy it. They You buy it. You want it? Okay, we're going to give you, what, X thousand, you know. So they, they, they got you covered. <laughs> you know what I mean? They got you covered. Yeah, it's just the way it is. It, it's just uh, our business is a very, very interesting business because, as I say many times, I had a dear friend who wrote this song. It's called It's Not the Money, It's the Money. And yeah, it's, it's the definitely. I'm sorry to say, you know, it's yeah. the money. It's That's a big piece works. of it. That's how it works. Yeah. As I say, if you don't know this, read Tommy James' book. You'll get a picture, not the whole picture, but surely a 1960s picture. Okay. Yeah. I'll definitely check that out. So let's talk about your book then. So it's called, it's, it's going to be called life of a rascal. Is that right? Memoir of a rascal. Yes. Memoir of a rascal. Okay. Yes. And that's coming out. When do we have a date for that? Yeah, it's March 22nd. And what we've done, we've done pre-orders on a Felix Cavalier music.com. And it's good because we're doing quite well. You know, basically what happened is we meaning the, the original guys, uh, we did a, a Broadway show musical, uh, called Once Upon a Dream with Steve Van Zandt mm. in 2013. And I think you were born for that, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah that was a lot. But anyway, uh, yeah, I'm sure, right? Yeah. But anyway, what happened was we would do press conferences. 
at the press conferences, everybody had a different answer for the same question. And I said, wow, I really thought I was there. Maybe I, was, maybe I wasn't there. <laughs> you know? uh, that's not what I, that's not what I remember. Oh, oh, that, you know, so I decided, well, let me, let me write a book. You know what I mean? To at least put my Custer's last stand story on, 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 on record because did he, did he really win or lose that? I don't know. You know, cause the last person standing wrote the book, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what started it. And then, and then I got involved in it and, you know, I found like, wow, you know, okay. I, I really don't want to talk about the rascals, you know, as far as like, it's only five years of my life, you know, five or six years of my life. I want to talk about my life because certain people, you know, said, well, Hey, we're interested in how this whole thing happened, you know, because a lot of people approach me, you know, I used to do like seminars at uh, Berkeley and, and those places about, well, how, how did you make it? How did it happen? You know what I mean? And they look to me, well, what can I do to, you know, so I tell them at least what happened to me. Yeah. How did you make it? I mean, it's just such a, it's because the odds are so stacked. Yeah, you must yeah. have a pretty good brain though. If you were pre-med, you're not dumb. So you, you're a pretty smart guy to, to know what you were doing. Well, you know, I mean, it, it, it's in the book, but basically, uh, you know, it, 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 it it's kind of like, did I have any idea seriously that I was going to be in the music business when I, you know, became a freshman at Syracuse university pre-med. No, I had absolutely no idea. Hmm. So, I mean, without getting like really philosophical, you have to have talent. Number one, you know? Yeah. You, the doors open for you, whether you open them or not, they open. And, and if you're tuned in enough to see that door that took me to Europe with Joey D opened, I didn't open it. You know what I'm hmm. saying? Mm-hmm. Somebody up there opened it. Well, you better go in it because it opened. Yeah. So you just go. And and I, and I really, this is kind of my advice is like, don't fight it, man. You know, feel it. You know what I mean? Don't, don't fight it. Cause how do you know? I mean, how many people go into college with one major and come out with another complete career? You know, I mean, you, you don't know when you're 17, 18 years old, what you're going to do, you know, look for the doors, look for the opportunities. You know, and God help the people that don't open, go through that door when that door opens. I feel so sorry for them because it may never open again. Mm-hmm. You know, go in, man, give it a shot. That's one of the nice things about growing up, you know, how should I put it? Safe and secure. You know what I mean? You're not mm-hmm. afraid of life. You know, a lot of people, they don't have that, you know, that flexibility. They can't go out and take a chance. They got to make sure that, you know, they can feed themselves and, you know, put a roof over their head. Gotta have confidence, you know, that you're 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 being watched, and you know, like when the door opens, go, go, give it a shot. Did you have? Because I know you started playing music at five years old, and you so you've been right. playing music for like fifteen years when this opportunity came. During that fifteen year time of playing music, did you have dreams of doing it professionally, or or you know, tr- making records, or or being on the Ed Sullivan Show, or any of those things? Well, you know, I mean, a, a lot of that started, uh, you know, because of guys, people like Elvis Presley. You know, you see this guy on television, and this guy's pretty cool, man. Check this out, you know, and all, you know, and a lot of it happens for many different reasons. You know, I mean, you know, like many of us are driven by the opposite sex. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry to say, you know, I mean, well, my friends were like, you know, I'm a, I wasn't even heavy enough to get make the football team. I mean, you know, all my buddies, they're giants for God's sake. You know, how what what. How I'll tell you what I play and I sing. Oh, I like that. 
You know, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, man. There's no, there's no, I don't think there's a common thread here in anybody. I mean, sure, there's nobody that I know that doesn't love making music. Now, making a career out of it, that's a big decision, man. That's a really huge decision, you know, especially mm -hmm. in those days because prior to Led Zeppelin, there weren't a lot of zeros in your career after that number. When Zeppelin came along, now we had international sales to a huge degree, platinum albums, you know. Now you, you could say, oh, I can make some money doing this. Prior to that, you were not making a lot of money. You were making mm -hmm. decent money. Not like that, you know. And the reason for that is is because you know the the, the record world opened up internationally when people like Warner Brothers became international. Right. So prior prior to Atlantic becoming part of Warner Brothers, we had a different record company in every country. Oh, I didn't know. Talk that. about an accounting nightmare. <laughs> you know? yeah, Who's stealing wrong. from me this time? All of them. Right. You know. <laughs> But you but, clearly weren't as driven by money because you would have made probably a lot more as a doctor at the time thinking, I mean, touring with Joey D yeah, versus yeah. being a doctor, probably doctor would have paid more than, than being a sideman. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Yeah. But it's just something about music. I mean, it must've felt magical, especially to well, play any, with these guys. No, anybody that that's, that's doing, you know, this, like, you know, we go out with the kinks and, you know, we go out to zombies and people like that. They, they all do they're, they're all insane about playing on stage. Man. They're all, it's, it's in you. And, you know, the younger people, they have the same thing. They, they love it. Mm -hmm. I mean, this gets into you. It's dangerous. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a, a ecstatic, you know what I mean? Oh, oh, I love you. I love, oh, gee, I don't want to do this anymore. I'd rather go and work in a box, you know, and look at a computer screen. No, 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 no. It's fun out there. And, and, yeah. and, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it, if you don't have that kind of joie de vie or what they call it of, don't go, you know, I mean, because uh, Eddie, my partner, ex-partner, he, he didn't, he didn't really want to go out in the road for a number of reasons. He, he didn't really want to do it, but most of the guys, they can't, they can't wait to get Ringo for God's sake. You yeah, got to pull him off of a stage. You got to drag him off. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Loves That's to play, awesome, man. Yeah. They love to play. Yeah. It's it's in your it's in your soul, you know. And you know, thank God I'm still able to do it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know we, we got to get going here. I want to wrap this up, but uh, I did. I had to ask this just because it's such a big news story right now with the whole Neil Young and Joni got Mitchell it. pulling their got music it. on Spotify. Got it. Got it. Are you are you insult? Are you taking a stance on that, or are you just staying out of it? Well, unfortunately, I don't own you know the the the, the music for me to stop. Yeah. But I've already joined Apple Music, so maybe that'll explain it. You know, look, you okay. know, I mean, especially when it comes to something like you know health. If I'm not going to tell you the and coming from a medical family, if, I, if I'm not going to tell you the truth, I could kill you. You know what I mean? And that's, mm -hmm. I mean, how many friends have we lost with this COVID crap, man? You know, too many. And so if I tell you the wrong thing, man, shame, shame, shame on me. And if I allow you know, I mean, I understand what, you know, this First Amendment stuff. Yeah, guess what, man? Lies. You know, in the old days, we used to have three television stations, CBS, ABC, NBC. Now, you remember when uh, Dan Rather got in trouble because he said something that was incorrect about George Bush? Remember that? I don't know if I remember that. What did he say? Well, basically, what he did is he told a statement that wasn't uh, correct, and he got fired. Now, he was oh. a major, major player on, on CBS, you know? Yeah. 
it was not true. Well, along comes the cable channels and the, all that stuff. They don't have such an ordinance. They can say whatever the hell they want. Mm. You know, there's no lie, truth meter. They just say whatever they want. Dangerous. It is getting, it's getting confusing to know what's true and what's, and in some ways it's nice because maybe there was things that we didn't know that maybe we should know and that we're learning now, but then how do you sort it all out? That's kids. It's a mess. Well, that's a good question, isn't it? And I think that yeah. is the question of the ages right there. And let's just say I'm a foreign government that really wants to screw up a democracy. What's the best way yeah. to me to do it? How about if I sow seeds of discontent all over? Well, that might work, right? Right. You know what, no, man? Like yeah. I say, if you can, if you can go on and have millions of people listening to non-truths, we have a problem. Yeah. I repl- well, listen, let me tell you something, man. Uh, as somebody, I was watching the, the, the show this morning. I was in the gym, you know, and they had the view on. I'm proud of the '60s guys and the '70s guys and ladies, man, because we stood for something, man. We weren't afraid to lose our damn audience. I don't want I, I don't want to work less as a black person on the show. They ain't going to do that not today. They want to lose their audience. You know, mm-hmm. Taylor Swift comes out. She started a lot of this, man. She says, hey, you know what, man? You guys got to pay us. Or I'm pulling my music off. See, we need more people that got B-A-L-L-S. We need mm-hmm. that. People are afraid to do that. I do a song in my show, you know, and uh, it was a song that was written way back when. It's called A Ray of Hope. And I announced it like this. I remember when you could write a song without pissing everybody off. <laughs> you know? Now, look, 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 the dishy chicks. They make a statement about a war, you know, that was so wrong. You know, I mean, the entire world has changed. They won't play their music anymore. Come on. What's happening to us? You know? So, yeah, I, I, I've switched already. Okay. So I can do. I can't stop the, I can't stop the rascal stuff over there. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. That makes sense. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I hey, do man. like to end, I like to end each episode to with you. a charity. Is there is there a charity or a cause that um that you want people to donate to after they've ordered your book, of course, if they have a little extra money left over, is there somewhere they should throw that? Well, you know, I've always been a uh, Salvation Army guy. Okay. You know, yeah, I've, I've promoted that one. For sure. They they really take care of people, you know, and it may be old-fashioned, but they're still doing Another yeah, one is the St. Jude. Jude people are excellent too, you know. Yeah, those are good. Okay, I'll put both those in there. And um, do you now do you have a website or something where people can pre-order the book? FelixCavalieriMusic.com. Okay, I will put that in the show notes as well. So people just click that and order the book. And uh, thank you so much. It's been a blast. I really appreciate hey, Chuck, it. Thanks. Great speaking to you, man. Take care of yourself. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Be safe. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. Thank you to Felix and his publicist and to Adika from Coffee Talk for helping to set this up. So many great stories from Felix. So make sure to get his book so you can read more. You can pre-order the book on his website now. The link is in the show notes. Uh, And if you enjoyed this episode, check out some of my other episodes. I have one with Doug Cosmo Clifford of CCR, Mark Farner from Grand Funk Railroad, and Don McLean, who wrote the song American Pie. Some great interviews there. And make sure to subscribe to the show or follow us on social media so that you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks again for listening all the way through. Have a great rest of your day and remember to shoot for the moon. Mm -hmm.